welcome to another episode of Novel Not New, a True End podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jennifer Uncle, and uh, joining me is Six Stutmar. Hi, how's it going, folks? And unfortunately, M couldn't make it today. They had um, they had a lot of stuff coming up recently, so um, it's just us two this time. But um, we still did a pretty good job of getting through the entirety of. Hakuoki Kyoto Wins, a uh, a game made by Dream Factory and Otomate. There may be a shortage of hosts here, but there is no shortage of hot samurai boys to keep you warm at night. Yeah, basically. This is a um Otome game, which is basically a visual novel that's more focused on dating a lot of characters. And um there it's focused on the um What's the period? Um, the period of the Togukawa Shogunate in um, Japan. And it's focused on the historical Shinsengumi um, group of samurai slash police of Kyoto. And um, gets into some interesting supernatural elements that we'll, I'm sure we'll get into very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things to say up front with this game is the... Uh, I think it's fair to say a staggering roster of boys that you've got on on your hands here. In the based version of this, what they basically did with Hakuoki is this used to be two games, but they remade it. This used to be one game. Hakuoki used to be one game, but then they remade it and split it into two. So we're playing essentially part one of a two-part story. And, um... I think it ships with six default characters, and then you can download a DLC pack that adds six more. That's not so. The original version of the game had six uh, characters. We don't like. We don't. Um, I don't think you played a version with any DLC. Just this remake um, that splits it into two adds six more characters. Uh, three of them were in the original game, but not dateable. I'm not sure which three of those are, to oh, be honest. Uh, I definitely played uh, the DLC because it listed it as um, installed when I was going through the menu. So, But did you specific- specifically do those because they're separate side stories? Um, I did the one that was uh, Hachiro Iba. Was he DLC or? No. Oh, okay. Like, they're not in the main game. The DLC is not in the main game. The DLC is like these little side, like like side stories with existing characters. Oh, okay, yeah. You I, don't download new characters. Yeah, I didn't uh, go into the side story stuff at all. So even mm-hmm. if it was installed, I didn't see any of that. Yeah, it's mostly just like nice, nice moments, more scenes with characters you already know, spending a little more time with them. Um, there are no big reveals or anything, but um. So it has has the members of the Shinsengumi, and they're all of them were in the previous. Uh, well, not all of them, but for the most part, they were they were in the original release. Um, but three of them, I'm not sure which three, were added as as dateable in this version. And then they added to that uh, Hachiro Iba, who's a new character who's dateable. Uh, Kazue Soma, who joins the Shinsengumi in this version and is dateable, and then Ryoma Sakamoto. Um, and we'll, we'll, we have between us touched every single character so we can talk about them, but, um, gosh, there's some, they do some interesting stuff with, I would say specifically, I mean, you, you can speak to, uh, Hachiro. I, I didn't play his, but Sakamoto is an interesting addition to this game. 
yeah, Hachiro's story goes from, oh, this is kind of pleasant to what the hell is even going on by the time it's getting to its conclusion. It hmm. goes places. So I guess uh, we should establish the base story. Like, I guess the, the, the threads through the story that are pretty consistent with every playthrough. Totally. So, um... You're playing as this woman named uh, Chizuru Yukimura. Um, first name is changeable, but that Chizuru is the default. Um, your father, who is a doctor for the shogunate, goes missing. And he basically wrote you a letter being like, Hey, if you ever want to find me, I'll be in Kyoto. So you go off to Kyoto disguised as a boy so you don't cause any trouble. You get into trouble anyway with these pe- these scary ronin with white hair. But then three warriors of the Shinsengumi come out of nowhere, cut them down. They're like, oh, no one was supposed to see this. We're taking you back for questioning. And it's kind of played whether you might live or die in this situation. Eventually it comes out that not only you're a girl, that you're the daughter of the person that they're looking for. So they're like, okay, we're going to keep a close... We're going to keep you on a leash, but you feel free to stay here while you help us find this doctor. And things kind of escalate from there. You find out exactly what the what your father was up to and how it's tied into the white-haired ronin that assailed you at the beginning of the game. And um, yeah, you kind of go through four or five years with this, uh, with the Shinsengumi watching as they change bases, they gain members, lose members, and have internal strife. Mm-hmm. Up to the point where, um, in all of these routes, the main thing that happens is the, basically the, in, the emperor and forces loyal to him decide to overthrow the shogunate who flees over to Edo, and, um, you and the rest of the warriors end up going over there for what I assume is part two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, 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 so since this game was split into two, the second game is called Edo Blossoms. Um, and so obviously that, that would be what we'd be, you know, the, the conclusion of every single one of these threads, I think. I haven't, we haven't played uh, Edo Blossoms. I will want to after this podcast, but um, I don't know if it's like when you start, it's just like load your save or like, okay, who did you have the hots for? Or like what, how it happens. Yeah, because um, depending on the route that you take, things are significantly different. And mm-hmm. not just in terms of who you're really close to by the end of it. Entire characters will live or die. Some of them will have become furies, which is this weird cross between a demon and a vampire sort of situation. Um, but yeah, some of them will be dead. Some of them will be in a entirely different condition that kind of took me by surprise. There are certain villains that you can, that you may never run into if you take certain routes, which is really interesting mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, there's, there's some really interesting things. So I'm, um, we're going to be talking pretty candidly about this game and about spoilers for this game, um, which, you know, it's it's novel, not new. I guess people would assume that. But, um, but yeah, there are some twists and stuff, and things go differently. And so, and also, as, as Jen mentioned, with different playthroughs, you get different amounts of information. 
uh, between the two of us, we have all the information, so at least available in this game, <laughs> and and we're just going to talk about it. So I want to know uh, what you know about the situation with your father. I want to know how much you know in the playthroughs and the endings you got. Okay, so essentially it establishes that... Um... Your father was always an adoptive father, and um, what had happened was you were born in a demon village. You're a you're you yourself are a demon, and um, you and your brother were separated into two, two different foster families. And um, your dad basically started working on this fury potion for the shogunate based off um, Western medicine. At some point, he defected to this different clan um not even but he's not entirely with that clan either because he does some things like he breaks into he breaks into the um demon clan village that uh princess sen um guards and steals one of their arms steals one of the demon arms that they have locked up and um your dad's basically a very bad person. He's constantly breaking all sorts of ethical and uh, moral standards for doctors and humans in general. He's breaking demon laws. He's And he essentially wants to get you back to, I assume, either hand you over to Cosma in some cases, or in other cases, he wants you back so he can have more help doing what he's doing. So, uh, stop me if this sounds familiar, um, but through the playthroughs, um, so I did, uh, Kazuma, uh, Chikage Kazuma, who is the, like, demon who is presented as pretty much the main villain for most of the thing. He keeps being like, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna come kidnap you. You're a demon lady and those are real rare, so let's go bone. And you're like, wow, you're creepy. Um, interestingly, if you pursue him, like, the second the game can tell you're interested in him, he suddenly is really respectful of your consent in a way that doesn't make a lot of sense. Weird. Um, I guess I appreciate it, but it doesn't feel very consistent for his character. Um, but as soon as you're playing along, he's just, he's just, like, kind of, like, you know, just, like, the gruff, silent, but, you know, like, affectionate type. And it's like, okay. Um, but between him and the, uh, Ryoma Sakamoto content, um, your father's plan is that he, um, he got the, um, the serum that turns people into furies, that turns them into these, like, half-demons. Um, he did get it through Western medicine, but, like, it was intentional. The West gave them that medicine in order to soften up Japan for an invasion. Oh, wow. Uh, by causing a bunch of infighting. And your father's like, okay, I can use this to my advantage to create a bunch of half demons and re and sort of rebuild the mostly destroyed Yukimura clan, and then we can rule over Japan as a demon clan. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, that that part of it did not come into consideration here at all. Yeah, between between Kazuma and Sakamoto, you get a lot of detail on that stuff. Um, cause Kazuma, of course, has a lot of insight and, and ways to talk about, like, demon politics. So, like, there's a part where it's just you and him talking to your father, and, and, and Kazuma's just like, you fucking suck so bad. Ooh, I fucking hate you. Here's what your plan is. Ooh, you're a shit. And your dad's like, oh, you're just angry. Um, <laughs> and then Sakamoto is such an interesting character because of his historical context. 
Uh, I assume you don't know the history. Like, I didn't know the history of most of these characters very well. I knew um, Hijikata, or, you know, Toshizo, uh, if you prefer, just, you know, from Japanese history. But mostly I didn't know these people. Is that the same for you? Um, yeah, I didn't really know that many of these people were real people until I was sharing that uh, I was really interested in Soji Okita. And someone was like, oh, yeah, not only is that a real person, there's also a... Um, fate character that um exists as well as a collectible card <laughs> yeah so these are these are i believe all real people except for i think kazuma of course like the demons are not but um so ryoma sakamoto is a dude who um he used to like at first he was just uh you know like a like a, a peasant in in the tosa domain and then he worked his way up to being a samurai and then he got in contact with the West, with, like, Commodore Perry and stuff, and had, like, uh, like the boss from Metal Gear Solid 3 moment, where he's like, there's a whole fucking world out there, and we're fighting over scraps of Japan against each other. This is ridiculous. I am going to, like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to wheel and deal however I can to unite Japan into one nation. Um... And so he started doing, like, these huge deals, like, arms deals and all kinds of things across all sorts of lines in the, in the real world and also in this game. Um, he founded what is now the modern idea of the Japanese Navy. Because um, he, w- he was like, hey, why don't we train on steamboats from the Americans? Why don't we convince the Americans to let us train on their steamboats? Um, and eventually he was assassinated because he was too much of a futurist at the age of 30. Like, he died real young because his ideas were just too radical. But he's a fascinating dude, and the idea of him surviving that is really interesting, politically speaking. Huh. Yeah, I... They... In all of the normal past well in all the paths that don't involve him it's pretty much a given that he gets assassinated at some point even when at there's one route where you're actively working to stop that but you get there too late but um mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting to be like to have them throw in a what if scenario like that yeah he feels the most like i think between him and uh and soma they feel the most like bonus characters in different ways. Like Sak- Sakamoto feels the most like a bonus character because he just turns the whole campaign kind of on its head. Um, because following him is just sort of like, oh, like, I don't know how they're going to handle this, but the fact that you're alive should really mean that modern Japan is very different. Um, and it, it changes the course of events a lot, even just in the game. And then Soma, uh, this is probably all I'm gonna say about Soma. Soma is a, is a guy who joins the Shinsengumi late. You meet him when he's just sort of like a, a, a regular young samurai, and he, and he has a little bit of dispute with the Shinsengumi, and then it's like, oh, actually, you guys are super honorable. I'll join you. And he's just a naive, handsome boy. And that's basically his entire story. Hmm. It's fun. It's nice. It's very light. <laughs> so there's not really much to say about him. Yeah. I think there's, I think there's a story earlier where you can encounter him and he gets humbled because uh, he stole a... I mean, he was given a photo of the Shinsengumi appearing as demons and got captured because of that. And after he's shamed for that, the way that uh, Kondo is essentially really nice to him makes him go, Oh, wow, I had the Shinsengumi all wrong. I'm gonna leave for now, but uh, 
since y'all invited me to hang out at some point, I'm just going to join you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you want me to get into the... How much do you know about... Um, what's, what's the backstory for you for um, how um, Yukimura was warned about her wound? About her ability to heal really quickly. Um, I have nothing on that. That didn't come up at all in my roots. Okay, so the default story, if you're not playing Hachiro Iba at all, is that um, your father told you at some point that you can never let kids see you get hurt, because since you regenerate things like gigantic gashes very, very quickly, those heal up in no time. You can't let anyone see that or else they'll be suspicious and call you a demon and treat you like a monster. So Hashiro Iba, as it turns out, you were misremembering that. He used to be a childhood friend of yours back when you were in at the clinic. And there was this moment when you were a kid where you were playing a game with your friends outside. You got hurt badly. It healed almost instantly. Your friends turned against you, started throwing rocks at you every day, calling you a, um, a monster. Hashiro steps in. He's he's a very bookworm child, and he steps in and goes, stop that right now, go away, or I'm going to make you regret it. And that single moment of being like, okay, I need to protect this girl that I'm, uh, that I'm very much friends with, turns him, puts him on the path of becoming a a guard for the shogunate and uh, best friends with these Shinsengumi warriors. And he's the one that basically um, was like, I think you're just normal. I think you're awesome, but you can never let anyone see this or they'll give you a hard time. Hmm. And um, his story goes in a really weird direction because um, there's this other person that um, appears earlier He's one of the Shinsengumi captains that appears earlier in the story, but doesn't make much of an impact if you're not playing this route. Uh, Takeda, he's the purple-haired dude. Um, right, yes. So essentially, when you're with Hashiro near the beginning, there's a part where Takeda is causing a trouble at this tea house. Um, Hashiro steps in and reprimands him. Takeda really resents this, and is kind of held as this action that Takeda did over his head for quite a bit. At some point when Hashiro is visiting everyone, Takeda's like, oh, hey, let's spar for a bit just to get some sword practice in. Takeda tries to straight up murder him and passes it off as, oh, no, we were just playing rough. It's all good. Which puts him on the path of being shunned by the rest of the Shinsengumi until he's like, my life is ruined. I'm just going to leave this organization. When he's going out the door, Takeda steals a bunch of the Fury research and tries to book to hightail it out of there. You end up confronting him with uh, Hashiro. Hashiro slices his left hand clean off. Actually, it's his right hand. His right hand clean off, and he falls into the ocean. Everyone thinks that he's dead. Except, it turns out, your father (laughs) found Takeda in the situation stole a demon arm, used the fury potion and this demon ar- and fused this demon arm to the sky. Mm-hmm. And he essentially gravely wounds Hashiro. Hashiro gets brought back to the 
village, the demon village that Princess Sen lives in is like, okay, we've got a bit of a problem. That was one of our demon arms, but we have a second one. I normally don't like this fury thing, but (laughs) I'm going, I'm, Hashiro, I'm going to let you drink the fury potion and fuse the other arm to you. And you can no longer interact with humans at all. You can no longer meddle on their affairs, but you can basically be our, you can basically represent this demon clan and hunt this dude down and get, get our arm back. We'll need your. We'll need the arm that we gave you back after that. But yeah, just, wow, that's wild. Yeah, it's this gigantic divergence that. Um, yeah, it sounds like none of that was in there for you. <laughs> no, no, that definitely was not, huh? But pretty much all of these routes, I think, end in the person that you're dating drinking the water of life and becoming a fury. Um. Kazama does not, because he's already a demon, but otherwise, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, there'd be, you know, I don't think anything would happen. I think he'd be like, wow, this tastes gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's ar- he's he's already better than a Fury, so... Well, at least, mm-hmm. he's already stronger than the average Fury, so... I guess similarly along those lines, uh, Kazama is, like, the only one who, like, in his ending is never put up against impossible odds... I guess that's because that's kind of a thing is like everyone gets in a situation where like they're about to die and they have to take they have to take the um the serum in order to, you know, become a fury and overcome seemingly impossible odds. But like Kazaba just sort of like it's it's kind of it feels kind of like um I maybe you never had this experience because you didn't play very many MMOs. But it's like when you play an MMO with your friend who, like, you start and your friend is, like, level 70, and they're like, oh, come on, I'll show you around, and they're just walking around one-shotting everything. (laughs) It feels a lot like that, where you're just following around your ridiculously high-level friend and he's just fucking everyone up kind of casually. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Uh, I was not a big fan of Cosma, because he's basically, he's pretty open about his intention to have you as his bride so he can breed a bunch of demons, and... Mm -hmm is really manipulative and shitty about that. And yeah, he's, I can see some people being pretty into that. Sometimes I'm into that sort of idea. <laughs> Just being like, well, Oh, I like a bad person sometimes. Yeah. He makes a, I, I would say he makes a bad pitch, but as I say, as soon as you bite, he like becomes a different, not entirely a different character, but like a different draft of that character, you know, or yeah. it's just like, Oh, you can see that this is like the same idea, but he's just a lot more, uh, yeah, appreciative of consent. And it's like, oh, good, that's nice. I'm glad you, I'm glad you changed your your mind. I guess. Yeah. <sighs> um, the shithead I ended up gravitating towards is um, Soji Okita, who is basically the jokester of the group, but his way of joking is constantly being like, "Just so you know, I can." end your life at any time, and if I feel like it, I probably will. But, um, he's generally the shit-stirrer of the group. He elbows people a lot and can be kind of a smartass. And, um, his whole thing, no matter what route you take, it turns out that he has tuberculosis and is doing it, is kind of pushing through it in a really unhealthy way. Like, he's still hanging out in this city with really bad air and 
He wants to go out and fight people, even though he's constantly coughing, sometimes coughing up blood. Hmm. And, um, yeah, you, it's kind of that thing where as you get closer to him, you, it's that situation where you get to see that he's, his whole, I'll kill you is mostly a front. And that's how he talks to everyone, really. And he's, is kind of someone who just wants to, he, he grew up believing that he could be the right hand of this organization and that he could um, be the swordsman everyone would count on. And when he can't do that, it kind of breaks him in a way. Not to the mm-hmm. same degree that it breaks Sinan, but uh, it definitely gets to him and makes him think, maybe I should just be, maybe they should just kick me out. No, I, I'm no use here. And you have to convince him that no people like you, they would have, said something if they didn't like you. They all care about you. Mm-hmm. And this is also the route where I got introduced to, um, well, I got to see Karu Nakamo for who he really was. Yeah. So he's basically, Karu is your twin brother who um, spends the majority of the game disguised as a woman and um, occasionally pops up in various scenes where you're around um, at one point tries to run away. Ian runs away suspiciously. Once it gets out that someone who looked a lot like you got in the way of the Shinsengumi policing this particular notice board that kept getting knocked down. Um, but yeah, at some point he just shows up in a semi-friendly manner when there's a raid happening on the Shinsengumi headquarters. He's like, I know you're really close to this I know you're really close to Soji, and it seems like he really wants to fight, so I have this water of life nearby, why don't you just drink it? And when he does, and when Soji does end up drinking it and it hurts a lot, Kaoru immediately makes this heel turn being like, haha, now the person that you really love has to live as a fury. I'm getting you back after all these years. Because people... It, it turns out Kaoru being... A male demon, not a female demon, um, was abused and put through some really, really rough stuff. And he turned that inward into utter hatred for how happy you were and how okay you were. So his whole thing now is trying to destroy your life. And a little bit shortly after that whole encounter, like a few chapters later, there's a situation where... He essentially sets up a situation where there's gotten shots happening out in Kyoto. You and Okita run out to investigate it. He ends up um, surrounding you with gunmen and saying, like, basically threatening your life. Even though your demon could probably survive that sort of thing, Soji immediately runs in front of all the bullets it turns out that his whole intention was just to get shoot him with bullets that would really screw him up, that would really screw Soji up, and he laughs again, being like, "Ha, I'm, I'm not done torturing you yet. Have fun," and kind of disappears for the rest of the game. And it's the situation where you're kind of bonding with Soji, being like, "No, I'm doing this for, I'm." It's not your fault that your brother is a dickhead. I'm doing this for you because I love you, more or less. And I care about you. And family isn't everything, so 
don't even worry about that idiot. You can write him off if you want. Because family is just the people that you're born with. Hmm. Yeah, in both the, the Kazuma and the Sakamoto endings, um, like, basically, the last part sort of ends with, with you being like, all right, well, I guess my dad's a piece of shit and my brother's a piece of shit, and uh, I guess it's my job to kill them. All right. And you're basically like, okay, like, <laughs> hey, boyfriend, help me hunt down my family. Oh, wow, <laughs> okay. Like, all right, cool. <laughs> Soji 1 is kind of like a situation where... Um, where Nakamo desperately wants you to hate him, but you're in a place where you're like, well, you're still my brother, so I'm really not liking what you're doing right now, but I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not going to give you the theory that you crave. So Hmm. it's a situation where it's like, if you give us more trouble, there might be something that comes up, but I'm not going to actively hunt you. Yeah, and this in these it's more like like you um Chizuru seems to like feel some responsibility, sort of like, oh, like I guess my family has decided to like turn a lot of people into monsters and like I have a responsibility to clean this mess up. Huh. Yeah, and that that wasn't really a thing at all in any of my endings. <laughs> like, yeah. uh there is this sense that you want to stay with the Shinsengumi to aid them and help them deal with this water of life stuff, but there's no... And I'm gonna go kill the person who's spreading it. Well, I guess it's it's the only two roots where I saw that were the roots where you didn't end up with the Shinsengumi. So that could be part of it. Is, yeah. is once you're separated from them, it, it becomes a little different. Uh, one of the ones that was interesting for me, you talked a little bit about how uh, a lot of uh, Soji's root is convincing him that he still has, has worth as a member of the, of the Shinsengumi uh nagakura's uh ending he's um his roots he's sort of like the like boisterous guy who uh never wears a shirt and then for some reason spends a lot of time complaining about how cold it is dude you should put on a shirt yeah and Uh, he's also the one that's constantly clipping my (laughs) my speakers because he's practically screaming every single line he is a loud boy it's very true he's he's very boisterous he's very fun um but a lot of his root is dealing with sort of the ethics of the serum and and the furies because he takes a pretty hardline stance of like listen if it comes to a point where like i'd need that shit or i die just let me die i don't want to live as a fucked up monster right Mm -hmm. which i personally think is fair um but chizuru comes from perspective of being you know like the daughter of a doctor and it's like, no, listen, as long as you're alive, there's worth in being alive. And there's uh, sort of a lot of a lot of moments and scenes and an overall arc of you convincing him that it's like, no, it's worth it like to stay alive because you can look for a solution. You can look for a way for your life to be meaningful if you're alive. If you're dead, that's sort of it. And so even though he's the one character who, near the end of the game in a lot of roots, um a bunch of the the water of life is passed out sort of like okay guys it's it's down to it here take this as a last resort and he's the one who refuses it um he does eventually end up taking it in in his route so uh, yeah hmm. um, should we I guess we can get to the how it plays and stuff like that after we go through all these but well i want one more from you if that's okay okay 
you were very brave, Jen, and I don't say that sarcastically. I mean that <laughs> sincerely. You played Sanan's route. Yeah, Sanan is Sanan is one of the most uncomfortable characters in the game. His your introduction to him is pleasant enough. He's the guy with the glasses and the long hair who does most of the strategizing for the Shinsengumi, which is a pretty traditional anime trope it feels like like mm-hmm. i feel like there's a lot of characters like that typically someone yeah. who's has a friendly face but also knows when to be cutting and cruel and um essentially in a right within chapter 1 um in an off-screen event he gets injured to the point where he can no longer hold his sword and he spends most of the rest of the time in the compound in the early chapters, um, fretting about the situation. Um, at some point, Kodu invites in Ito and other imperialists to further pile on Sinan being like, yeah, what's the point of you? You can't even fight. Like, why are you here? And he takes it to the point where he ends up grabbing a bottle of water of life, going into the common room at night, and no matter what you do, he will drink it anyway. And there's this period where he's very openly violent, but that gets immediately quelled as soon as everyone comes in and contains him, more or less. And um, from that point onward, he he becomes a massive fucking creep, because... Most of the other Shinsengumi don't know that this happened, so he can only be out at night and people have told him, people have um, spread rumors that he actually died. And um, he spends a lot of time approaching every single situation that is someone either tuberculosis or something more mild with, well, why don't we just give him the water of life? We Fury Corpse could use a lot. We Fury Corps could use a lot more soldiers. And it gets out that he's been... There, there's stories that get out as the time, as time goes on that um, him, along with the rest of the Fury Corps, are out there at night viciously murdering people and getting high off blood. Because that's the thing with Furies. Furies have bloodlust where... If they see a bit of blood or they get hungry for it, they can lose control and murder someone to the point where they're unrecognizable so they can get the most blood out of it. And even during normal rats, even during the good route with him, at some point he will break into your room in the middle of night and be like, take out his katana and be like, yo, I'm going to cut you so I can get some of your blood. Okay? Okay. And... (laughs) Everyone has to rush in being like, no, dude, just, there are ways to do it that don't involve you barging in someone at the middle of the night and pulling out your sword and going, so I'm just going to cut you. And, um, of course, since they kind of do the same thing they do with Cosmo, where he mellows out a little if the game knows that you're wanting to actively date him, it's a situation where... They, um, you kind of see things a little bit more from his point of view, where he's like, this is a thing that's going to save the Shinsengumi, and 
give them the abilities that they need to fight an ever-changing war. Like, people are using guns now, and cannons, and an average swordsman will not be able to stand up against that. So, this is our ace in the hole. And it's also bringing people... It's also saving people that we like. And he's still kind of a creep, but it's a situation where it's like, oh, I guess you're not being as creepy to me as you used to be, so... It's whatever. And that's the other route. That's one of the other big routes where you meet your father. And the father tries to take you away. And Sanan appears out of nowhere being like, I was actually monitoring this space for months on end. And I know your game. Get the hell off her. And he basically fights the father away. And your end is basically pretty similar to all the other ones. Just... Sanan's already a demon. I mean, Sanan's already a fury at this point, so there's no last-minute drinking of the potion. There's, mm. It's just him facing off against this old man who can't do shit. <laughs> Except for run away. Yeah, huh. it's... I still think that he's a massive creep after this one. They just... Just like the Cosmo routes, they take efforts to de-creepify him, so... If someone ended up accidentally ended up going on this route, they're not as off put as they may have been. I mean, he still does have that that like I mean, after you've started his route, not like like at the beginning when he doesn't know better yet. After he started his route, he still has that moment where he's like, "Yeah, but what if I just cut you just a little, please?" So <laughs> yeah, lock it back enough. I think. <laughs> yeah, they don't and. Not to get too much into weird screenshots I saw of part two, since we'll obviously be covering that in a different episode if we decide to cover it again. But um, there are points within the future of the series where it seems like people that you're into end up drinking your blood. So it's maybe if Sanan wasn't such a creep about it, it would be a little bit easier to handle. But no, he's... And he's constantly talking in this very dramatic sort of oh, we need this water of life and stuff. With His voice acting lays on the creep to such a degree that it's impo- it's nearly impossible to overlook. So if someone wanted to bleed you to drink your blood, how would you prefer that they ask it? Um, I would... I prefer them to be like, okay, we're running a series of tests right now, and if you could just... If they treated it like a blood bank sort of situation where it's like, okay, I'm just going to, there's this method I can use to get some blood for you. It's not going to, it it might hurt a little bit, but it's totally safe. It's not going to be me taking out a katana and fucking cutting you. Um, I feel like that'd be fine. Like, just being like, okay, here's this really scientific method I have for retrieving and bottling your blood. And it won't be a ton at all, just... A little bit so I can play around with it a bit. Play around with it a bit in terms of blood, maybe not the best choice of words on my end, but... <laughs> <laughs> I I don't have an answer myself, I just can't get the phrase, I'm a drink your blood like Pepsi out of my mind, so... <laughs> oh. Pepsi is gross, so... And blood is gross, so... <laughs> that, that... That, um... That tracks... Oh, you're gonna lose us all our all our all our listeners, all these Pepsi fans. <laughs> uh, they're still waiting for Crystal Pepsi to make its comeback, you know. It did. You've been paying attention. 
Wait, it's it's still a thing? You could go into store and get Crystal Pepsi right now. Oh, wow. Is it any good? It's okay. It's like somewhere between... It's like a mix of like a cola and like a, 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 lemon, lime, a lemon lime soda, like a Sprite or a 7-Up. It's okay. It's weird. Well, I guess the weird thing is it's not weird. It's just sort of like, oh, okay, this is just a drink. Why yeah. was this so... Okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> now that we've gotten our soda talk out of the way, let's see. So you mentioned how it played earlier. Um, and it's... you played. We both played it on PC. It's too bad uh, M played it on, on Vita. I would like to hear M's thoughts on how it was on Vita because... Well, I guess you played it with a controller, right? Yeah, I played it with a Xbox One controller. So I heard you talking about how the keyboard bindings were a bit fucked up. Yeah. Um. So let's let's talk about some of the controls on the PC with keyboard and mouse. Um. Left click to advance text. Right. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right click to hide the text window. Middle mouse to skip. O to open up the save menu. I think. And then, like, uh, if you want to, like, scroll back and forth through messages, that's W and S. Oh, that tracks, if, yeah, because scrolling through messages on the controller is just using the left analog stick. But, like, it tracks, but it also doesn't make it, it like, it makes sense if you're like, oh, sure, a visual novel controlling with WASD like a shooter. But, like, wait, what? <laughs> um, And then, like... How do you like? There are a lot of stuff that I never figured out how you how you do. Like, you can like play, um, repeat. Like, if you go into the log, you can repeat like voice samples. I don't know the key to do that because it only ever pops up controller inputs, even if you're on a keyboard. Um, I oh. guess I guess what I'm saying is play this with a controller because the keyboard bindings are bizarre, and also they won't tell you what the buttons are. Weird. Yeah. Uh. It seems very clear that this was a Vita port. Like, a, since most visual novels, for a time of this particular production quality, came out on Vita, they probably found a way to get it onto the PC and mm-hmm. didn't really think about how to change controls for a keyboard. Mm-hmm. There's also some weird stuff with audio, like um, all of the videos... All the all the movie clips are played at a much lower rate than everything else, so my first introduction to this game was turning it up a lot so I can listen to the intro music and then being blasted on the main screen with mm-hmm. triumphant horns, which is kind of funny. Um, yeah, overall, this since I played it with a controller, this was one of the more pleasant visual novels to play because they make a lot of really convenient choices like um once you i basically started a new game every time i went to a different route because every choice that you make from beginning to end more or less determines what route you fall onto so when you hit new game um it'll just be like do you really want to enter your name again we could just let you skip that if you want and then hey you can skip the entire prologue since any all the choices end up happening in chapter one Mm-hmm. And then you can just hit a button and it'll skip every piece of dialogue that you've already seen. And you can also switch that if you want to force it to skip everything. 
Um, that's a toggle. And then, like, choices you've already made will be colored blue. Um, but if there's, like, a new bit of dialogue in the middle of that, it will, like, it will stop to show you that one bit of dialogue, but won't remove the skip if you've still got it on. So once you advance past it, the skip previously read will pick up again. Um, it's got a lot of quality of life things that are really convenient, especially after some of the games we played recently, like uh, Ghosts of Miami, which really was lacking in some quality of life features. Yeah, and I think it's pretty necessary for this game too, because both of us kind of underestimated how long it would be to actually play through all these routes, because yeah. there's a lot of different variations that can happen. So this idea of just, oh, I'm going to get through one route and it'll be a lot easier to skip everything else, yes and no, but uh, because there's gigantic reams of new dialogue, depending on who you're choosing, it will end entire different paths that you can go on. The, the idea of, oh yeah, I'll just keep playing through this four to five hour chunk or however long it took me to get through this first path. Probably take a bit longer than that, but yeah, it's it's a very long game. The Steam store page lists it as um, around 80 hours long, and um, it took me 30 hours to complete my six routes. Huh. I didn't check how long it took me. Um, I can take a peek real quick. It took me... oh, uh, tw 12 hours. Oh, wow, okay. Oh, you... You read a lot faster than I did. You probably read a lot faster than I did. Though I also went into the settings to speed up the text scroll because the default oh. settings for that, incredibly slow. Yeah. No, that was one of the first things I did was change that. Um, yeah. And well, so here's something I wanted to talk about. This is the first time we've covered a historical visual novel on the show. Um, especially a historical dating sim or otome game. And there are certain problems with that style of visual novel that I have. And they're not like, I don't think they're necessarily things that are bad, but they're things about, about these, these games that irritate me, right? Yeah, I'd be interesting to, I'd be interested to hear them because aside from Mystic Messenger, which I played for maybe 10 to 15 minutes before the, I realized, oh, wait, this is happening in real time. I don't have time to keep babysitting this. Um, I have had almost no experience with the Otome genre, genre, so this is this is more or less my first one. Well, one of the things that's true in a lot of Otome games, and actually the next Otome game I want to play, uh, Nightshaded, it's not true in, and I'm looking forward to that, is that your character is kind of helpless, and I find that a little frustrating. Um, in, in a lot of these games, it's just sort of like, well, you, you, you meet the handsome boys and the handsome boys are capable. And then it's like, okay, I'll rely on the handsome boys to do everything because I am the helpless girl and I can do nothing by myself. Um, and I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah, there's, uh, on some level here, I was not as bothered by that because there's this sense that, uh, for a gigantic portion of the game, you're on thin ice with the Shinsengumi, so... They're going to, they're going to more or less direct you in the way that they please in terms of conduct and stuff like that. So it was like, okay, we're going to keep you out of fights as much as possible, and also you have a plot reason of the whole blood, the whole wound thing that you're not too interested in getting into battles yourself. But uh, there is this sense throughout that you're also training to become 
a proper Shin Megami warrior. Like there are characters that will go out of their way to train you. Like um, mm-hmm. Kondo teaches you um, sword fighting, and even though it's like just a four-hour session, you feel like you've already changed quite a bit. And <laughs> there is this idea that. I'm hoping, at least, for part two, you're a lot more capable and you get into some badass sword fights, but uh, I don't know how likely likely that even is. It doesn't feel that like... I mean, like, you're introduced at the beginning of the game, like, your character is like, I know how to use a sword. That's part of your introduction is, is you saying, like, I know how to fight. I'm not incredible, but I can hold my own. Um, that doesn't appear to be true by the contents of this game. And then also, like... It doesn't feel like like there was that there is that training scene with Kondo that you do get some in some roots, but that also doesn't feel like it ever pays off. Um, it feels like that's just an opportunity to have a nice moment with Kondo, and the game doesn't actually consider you at any point to be like a serious contender in any kind of fight. And I thought it was kind of a bummer that you're like spending four years hanging out with these elite samurai as they train and there's no option and and they're willing to treat you as one of the boys as it were in a large part and there's no route where you're like hey maybe i actually will get good at this sword shit yeah it's it's kind of a bummer it's they do have a number of characters where there's a clear pecking order in terms of power like demons that are actually trained are if you actually see their demon form, you're pretty much done for most of the time. Um, in their normal form, they can pick off most people, except for Furies, who can somewhat hold their own. But then there are also some Furies that have taken it and they're shit at sword fighting. There, mm-hmm. There is this sense that... Um, I guess since there were, I was surrounded by a bunch of other people who were powerless in their own way, it didn't stick out as much to me, but now that you mention it... I really hope that in Edo Blossoms, you do get a chance to be a proper sword fighter and end up maybe fighting your father or your brother or mm-hmm. Cosma himself. And the other thing that bothers me, and this one's that one was more about Otome games in general. Usually they make you kind of helpless, though. As I mentioned, Nightshade, you are just a ninja. You can just do ninja shit. Um, and I'm looking forward to playing that because it's just like, oh... Like, you have a mission, and you can be like, you can talk to your boyfriend, or you can be like, I'm just gonna fucking do this, because I'm a ninja. Um, and that sounds cool to me. But the other problem I have, specifically with, with historical Atomic games, is the tendency for the times to bog you down. Like, setting aside the gender politics, because there's a lot of like, oh, you're a weak girl, what you could, what could you do? Which is like, eye-rolling, but okay. Um, there's also just, like, you're with the Shin Sengumi for four years, and that's, I feel like that's fairly realistic, but it's like, you leave your home, and you go to, effectively, another state to look for your dad, right? Mm-hmm. And he's not there, and then you're just stuck with the Shin Sengumi for four years? If it were modern times, you'd just pull out your fucking cell phone. And, like, obviously I'm not asking for you to have a cell phone, but the degree to which you get stuck in one place as events just roll around you, like, there's so many... Almost every chapter starts with a description of, like, oh, when all this shit is happening, like, oh, you know, like, in... 1873 there's this battle and you know like such and such happened and you know like this lord was ousted and blah 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 and then it just cuts to you like mopping the floors and it's like 
I understand that it's realistic how sedimentary you are, but it is also kind of frustrating to me. Yeah, like, they still... I'm not sure even if it took place in modern times, you'd be able to find your father that easily because there's this sense that um, in this, at least for most of the game, he is otherwise occupied and doesn't want to be found. And um, also with how isolated and stuff like that you are, they basically decide that you're a security risk if you go out and tell anyone about them. So they keep you locked up for long periods of time and don't let you go outside without an escort basically ever. Well, they do in some routes near the very end, but that's because they decided that you're not going to run away and you're trustworthy. So I can also see that being a situation where it's like, yeah, it's kind of silly to go through the same 10 to 15 reams of text every time about um this person being overthrown or the capital being under siege, but... um. I also kind of get... It It never really bothered me that I was stuck with them, more or less. I guess I just felt like, I mean, it, it makes sense in the way they've set things up that you aren't very mobile, but also they set that things up that way, right? Like, they're the ones who chose that circumstance. It wouldn't have been that hard for them to make it in a way where you could have been a more active participant in the plot, as it were. Um, it very feels like you are along for the ride of the story of the Shinsengumi, which is, like, that's okay. I definitely think in some routes that's more appropriate, but there are also routes where you can be like, hey, I'm not that into the Shinsengumi, but you're still going to hang out with them for four years. It's like, okay. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I guess that's true, yeah. And um... Anybody else think it's ironic that they call Toshihizo the demon vice commander but there are actual demons around <laughs> uh, yeah the he, I don't know how I feel about him as the main love interest like I guess I guess he's I guess he's very he's one of the closest in construction to what a love interest I'd expect from a rom-com or something like that or a romantic story is where He's the one that gives you the most shit for a while, and he's completely serious, but then you get to see his tender side, and you end up making food for him when he's feeling down, and doing your best to... And the way that you endear yourself to him is occasionally you do step out of line and tell him, no, I'm going to give me an active role in here, I want to help, and... I guess that's kind of interesting. I don't know. I kind of found him bland compared to many of the other options. Well, one of the things for me is a lot of these are are like famous voice actors, right? Um, they've got a they've got a, a fairly all star cast, and um, so Toshihizo is voiced by I don't I don't remember the dude's name, but he's the dude who does Lock on Stratus from Gundam Double O, which is a show that I saw a lot of. Um, I may have watched that entire series three times. That's a possibility. I can't confirm or deny. But for me, it just any time he spoke, it was just like, Lock on, why are you being so pouty? Lock on, why is your hair so long? And just like, <laughs> I couldn't get it out of my head. Yeah, the thing about it being this uh, historical drama is everyone has these really long locks of hair that's that are flowing and... Occasionally, you'll get to moments where they have their hair down, and it's treated as this 
very sensual moments. Speaking of sensual, uh, Yuki Mura is kind of a horn dog sometimes. <laughs> like there's there's moments where I think I'm starting to see why people occasionally make jokes about Atome games because uh, she'll be in a situation where she's in danger and she's like, you know, even when his face is like that, it's perfectly sculpted. And it's like, you're being held, your mouth is being held and someone has a knife to your throat and you're on this wall and all you can think about is how this dude's face is perfectly chiseled. Okay. And there's the obligatory examination scene where you got a shot of several of the dudes shirtless. Most, well, it's mostly just showing off Nakakura while the other characters are in the background, uh, either thinking it's hilarious or being like, oh, get a load of this jerk. It's funny because I'm so, like, I haven't played a ton of Otome games, but I've played enough that I actually think she's fairly chaste for an Otome game character. <laughs> um, you definitely have those lines of her being like, 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 oh, he's got a gun to my head and he just said he's going to torture me until he gets what he wants, but he looks so hot right now. <laughs> um, but like, uh, in like, in Sakamoto's route, like, pretty far in like 70 percent of the way in he kisses her on the forehead and she's embarrassed about it for the rest of the game oh wow uh so like she she may have some so she's she may have some horn dog instincts in a way in the same way that most otome games do but she's actually a, a fairly chaste young lady yeah and i think there's ideas that for a lot of the routes, she doesn't really acknowledge the fact that she might actually be in love with this person. She just gets the sense that she wants to be close to him, or why am I acting, why am I putting, why am I so concerned about this one person's health, even though it's none of my business. And I guess that's kind of interesting in a way, because it's, it feels more like a close friendship generator at this point than a romantic simulator. Mm -hmm. And... That kind of has its moments. I'm assuming that, that that all goes out the window in part two when there's going to be an actual ending to things, so they can just let it rip, but <laughs> I guess we'll see. And uh, oh, one other kind of funny thing, there's a, there's a woman that you can meet in some of the routes that is part of the Red Light District, and um, later on she turns out to be Princess Sen's bodyguard in disguise. But the first time you see her when you're out drinking with the boys, you kind of have... Yukimura has a thought to herself being like, you know, if I wasn't a girl, I'd... And it, at the moment, I was just like, no, it's okay, you could like her too. You can you can totally be in love with her too. That's cool. Even though that really never gets brought up again. Yeah. Yeah, it it is... Um, I guess it's be again, it's because it's historical, but a lot of these, a lot of Otome games will have, like, a, a girl-girl route or two, usually just the one, um, but this, this, this game definitely does not. I thought when Princess Sen was interest introduced, I was like, oh, okay, and it's like, no, no, you never get very much content with her, honestly. It's kind of too bad, she seems cool. Yeah, she shows up in a lot of my endings, but, um, mm -hmm. her main thing is... Occasionally she'll appear to be like, okay, listen, you have these deep, you have this demon clan after you. 
and they're bad news. I don't think these Shinsengumi men can protect you properly. I have this village, I have this demon village where you should probably be anyway because you're a demon. Um, why don't you come with me? But the way that that usually pans out is her taking you aside being like, listen, I'm seeing the way that you kind of eye some of these guys. Uh, are you into one of them? And then when you say yes, she's like, oh, I totally understand. You can stay. It's all good. Even if you say no, she's like, oh, I understand. You have some other reason for not coming with me. Bye. Like this, <laughs> this, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of a dumb question on the game's part, frankly. It's, I feel like it's just like, because the, the a lot of the roots mean that you gain affection with people inside the Shinsengumi and out. And it's sort of the moment for them to be like, oh, Princess Sen is here to ask you if the person you're hot for is inside the Shinsengumi or out. So you can say yes or no. So the game can figure out who you're trying to pursue. Um, it's yeah. a little clumsy, honestly. Yeah, it's a clumsy thing that occasionally comes across as cute. Just being like, oh, yeah, this. She basically came from. She came from a very important historical figure. In terms of uh, her parents, if I recall correctly. And, um, it, she's this nobility, she's, but she's often on the street just walking around and also spends time being like, hey, so you like this guy, huh? Um, that's awesome. I'm happy for you. And if you ever need help, just give me a call. And it's like, okay, <laughs> okay, this, okay, nobility. I'm glad that you're, I'm glad that you're kind of looking out for me in this way, even though it seems completely out of out of a thing that normal nobility would do, but okay. Hmm. All right, well, for your first full-on Atome game, you got any closing thoughts? Um. Hmm. I, I really enjoyed my time with this game. Like, I was expecting it to be... When I was going in, even though I know that visual novels get a very bad, unfair rap for being built in a certain way. I was kind of expecting this to be a, a bit lighter of a story than it was. I ended up getting caught on a lot of the drama and being really pulled in by the tough life that these people lead and their battles with this ridiculous demon force. But, um, yeah, I ended up enjoying myself a lot. I wish I had not underestimated the amount of time it would take to finish this because I ended up finishing it down to the wire, but, um... Girl, you think you were down to the wire? Do you know when I closed the game? A few minutes after I asked you to start recording, I imagine. Yes, two minutes before I hit record on Audacity, so... <laughs> yeah, the... if you're going into this game... And, well, first off, sorry for kind of spoiling you on all the events that happen in it, but, um, <laughs> just know going in that it's more, it's closer to reading a lengthy fantasy novel than it is something a little bit lighter, like Dream Daddy or most of the other things we've covered. Maybe not Rampa because that thing is freaking huge, but <laughs> it's... Pr it's pretty easy to approach a game like this and think that's going to be shorter than it is, but once you at once you factor in the fact that um this game is has 12 different people you can basically go into routes to and from in the within those 12 
each one of them has a bad ending or a neutral ending. Um, in addition to their good ending. There's a lot of game to get through here. And this is just part one of two. So know what you're getting into. This is going to be a rather gigantic experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think I think Jen will agree that, I mean, like a lot of the games we've talked about, this, like, even though we've told you the plot twists, it's still absolutely worth experiencing. It's, it's a, it's a fun, engaging journey, and these characters are, are enjoyable to get to know, except for Sanon, because he's awful, and <laughs> kind of except for Ka- Kazuma, I'm not, I can't make up my mind if Kazuma redeems himself or not, because his, at least the content in his ending is really interesting. You can't date a toe, but he kind of sucks too. Like, um, they put in some they put in some effort to be like, oh, imperialists are even though imperialists are kind of insular and equivalent to far right assholes that you will encounter today. Um, they try and do this whole thing of being like, well, they have some points too that you should listen to every once in a while. But a toe just sucks. <laughs> he he's treated as this he's treated in this very unfortunate campy gay sort of way when the men are basically undressing and stuff like that he's like ooh i don't want anything to do with that in a very flamboyant sort of way and he there's this whole thing where he ends up betraying everyone but he's generally in that negative on the story i feel like like they had to create some internal story for the shinsengumi but i really didn't like him but then how would Hachiro end getting his, like, Devil May Cry 4, like, demon arm? That was pretty awesome. <laughs> bang, bang, pull his devil trigger. It was incredibly, incredibly cheesy, and I was like, this game isn't going where it's going, is it? Oh, it totally is. But, uh, I'm really interested to see how Part 2 handles this stuff. Like, how do they handle a situation where Part 1, you could have such a gigantic difference in how things were approached and who is on the board as an enemy and an ally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious to find out. Yeah. But uh next month we're kind of we're gonna take things a little bit slower because this game was it took a lot out of us, so it'd be nicer to play something a little bit more bite sized, more approachable. Um, why don't you tell us what that game is? So we're going to be playing Subsurface Circular. Um, so Subsurface Circular is a uh, sort of visual novel adventure game uh, by Mike Bithell and Mike Bithell Games. Obviously not just the man himself. He had a team behind him. Um, it came out in 2017. Uh, basically, you are playing as an android, and you are investigating various cases, and that's that's all I really know. Yeah, there's a little bit more to that, but it's a incredibly short game, so you might you might have heard of it at some point because it's the one that he released on the same day that he announced it, and that was kind of a big deal within the indie space. But uh, yeah, I have some feelings about that game, but uh. We'll be getting into that in the next podcast. Yes, we will. But until that time, uh, yeah. What it's is this? It's I, I'm acting like I'm the host. I'm not. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It's 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 okay. Did we get any questions? Uh, no, we did not. Okay. 
that that makes sense because this game is pretty long and it seems kind of unknown within like the last one we did hotel dusk that that has a lot more fame and clap but uh this one's more like a visual novel as visual novel that uh not a lot of people out with even within the gaming sphere really talk about which is a shame but uh yeah. Well, okay, let's let's have a hypothetical question. If you were going to recommend people roots, like their first time character root, like based on personality types, recommend three based on three different things. I can go first as an example, right? Okay. If you if you want to go like deeper on the political stuff, you should do Sakamoto. Cuz Sakamoto stuff goes into the politics of of feudal Japan and the changing of the times in a really interesting way. Um if you just want a handsome, strong, silent boy who's going to take care of you, you want to go Saito. And if you want, uh, just, if you want to go into the game's, like, deep lore bullshit, I would say Kazama. Though I don't actually think Kazama should ever be your first playthrough. You should at least play one of the Shinsengumi first. Okay. So, um, if you want someone that's kind of your age and has a very silly... He has a very friendly sort of, almost, uh, I don't know the word for it, where someone that's your same age is just really awesome and kind of young and headstrong and a bit silly. Heisuke is really good for that. Like, there's moments where he has a pretty good, there's a plot thread that they bury pretty early into his route, and then if you see it through to the end, there's a they surface it in kind of a fun way. And I thought that was kind of sweet. There's also Yamazaki, who's the only one that's an actual straight-up ninja. Even has his whole head guard and uh, black cloak over his mouth. He He's basically the way that you see most of the, inter- most of the external spy stuff happening around the Shinsengumi. Like, hmm. he's, he's the one that takes care of everyone behind the scenes. So if you want someone who's like the silent ca- silent caregiver to every one of these men, he's really good for that. And um, Soji Okita is great for people like me who get really attached to the shithead jokester characters who have a softer side if you can tolerate their foolishness. Alright. Well, with all that said... Uh, if you want a, a person who's gonna uh, create some great podcasts and articles for you, you should head over to Scanline Media. Um, you can go find our Patreon at Patreon.com/ScanlineMedia and most of our articles and uh, podcasts over at ScanlineMedia.com. Uh, and since M is not here, I guess it falls to me to also do the abnormal mapping plugs. So obviously they have a Patreon as well, Patreon.com/abnormalmapping. You can also go to abnormalmapping.com. Is it .net? I always mess that up, don't I? I think it's .com. It's .com. Yeah. I always I always want to think it's .net for some reason. Abnormalmapping.com. You can check out all their all their other uh, podcasts there, such as, of course, Abnormal Mapping, Second Option's Log, The Amory Score, uh, Your Faves with Never. Uh, don't forget to check out The Great Gundam Project for $1 on the Abnormal Mapping Patreon. And, uh, yeah, you know, just lots, lots of good content. Between the two of us, I'm sure we've got you covered for whatever you like, unless you like things that are... Not nerdy, because, sorry. Yeah, our our whole purview is within the nerdiest stuff imaginable, basically. Also, if you do happen to have a 
if you do end up listening to this and have a question or comment about Hakuoki or the next game we're doing, uh, Subsurface Circular, or any of the other games we cover, just send an email to podcast at abnormalmapping.com and um, probably put something like Novel Not New or NNN in the subject line, and we'll do our best to get your thoughts on air. All right, but until next time, peace out. See ya.